Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, March 27th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. Is it still spring-like? You were mentioning that last week, that there's been some signs of spring, but is it still, <laughs> or have you guys lapsed? <laughs> yeah, it went, it went back to wet winter mostly, but yeah. we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Yeah. So what's the latest? This has been kind of a crazy time. You know, I've been traveling. I've been in the U.S. Um, recording this uh, from Philly. And, you know, we talked about it last week, but I actually had a chance to, I was kind of hanging out at Wharton yesterday. And they're, you know, they're scrambling. They've got all their decisions ready to go. Um, as we record this, they're they're yet to be released. But by the time this episode airs, Wharton will release their decisions. But what, what else is going on in, in the MBA admissions world? Yeah, I mean, Wharton's the big school um, from last week. And yeah, I, I'm saying it as if it's last week <laughs> in terms of when when this is aired um, to release decisions. Um, but several other schools, lots of activity on Livewire, Haas, um, Georgetown, and just um, quite a few schools last week. But this upcoming week is where it, it is kind of it almost correlates each week's progression in decision weeks. You see some of the more higher profile program. So Harvard and Stanford this upcoming week, mm-hmm. um, along with um, Kellogg um, and, um, and, and, and Marshall and Foster, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this week's going to be um, building up to a crescendo. Yes. I think, I think the following <laughs> week, it all falls into a heap. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of you know, all these decisions, we ran an admissions tip on the website about choosing between business schools. So I, I'm really hoping that many of our listeners who applied this season are in this kind of a situation where they have multiple offers and are you know trying to decide. So we, we have a really nice admissions tip that kind of helps you to think through that process. And we are going to talk a little bit about choosing between schools because Alex, I see you've picked out two decision wire entries for us to discuss later in the episode with some pretty good dilemmas. So we'll get into that. Uh, We also ran a piece where we just kind of created a table that summarizes the GMAT uh, average scores across all top schools. So if you're kind of an early bird and you're trying to get a feel for where each of these schools lands, that's on the site now. And you don't have to go to each individual school's website to gather that information. Um, I think we're doing something similar with the GRE too, that may be forthcoming. So you can check that out. Who, who, who tops the list, Graham? Well, I, because I think it was done alphabetically, I'm not 100% sure, but I have it in front of me. And so I, I'm almost certain that it's Stanford. Um, but I yeah, I'll have to look at it here. Yeah, I think it's going to be Stanford. They are at 737. Yeah, I don't see anyone else. Wow. Now, keep in mind, you know, there are other schools that are fairly high as well. Um, you know, we have, uh, I guess it's, you know, like Wharton 733, right? So, and we know HBS is somewhere around there too, uh, 730, right? So, yeah, those are some of the big guns. How, how many schools over 730? Well, it looks like Stern is also over 730. I said Stanford, um, Haas, we can give almost, I mean, they're at 729. Uh, yeah, there are a handful of schools. I want to say there was somebody else. Yeah, USC Marshall, 732. Okay, so, you know, there's uh, there are a number of schools that are creeping up. Now, this will all be very different, I assume, down the road because there's this new <laughs> GMAT exam coming, but it's still a ways off. So, yeah, we'll see how that <laughs> – I don't even know how that's going to be scored, right? So, we'll have to see. Nah. Yeah. Uh, The other thing that we did is we've published, as usual, a kind of summary review of UVA Darden's career report. 
And this is timely as well, because one of the candidates we're going to be talking about today um, is interested in Darden. But Alex, I'll just run through some of the numbers. I think Darden might be the last school to have published this of, of the schools that we kind of typically cover. So I think this brings up the rear here, but they had some amazing numbers. They um, First of all, they mentioned that 93% of their students in that class of um, you know 22 were, were looking for work. So that's about, um, I guess... I want to say there are 395 students in the class at Darden. That's the number that I had in my head here. Um, so, so 93% of them looking for work, and 97.5% had job offers within three months. So excellent number there. The median base salary was a whopping $175,000, and the median signing bonus was 30K. We see that kind of across, <laughs> across the board. Um, I'll run through the industry and kind of regional stuff, but I'm kind of curious to get your take. So for consulting, which led the way, they placed 43.5% of uh, their graduates seeking work into consulting. Now that's up. It used to be 32% last year. So a big bump in consulting. Financial services was in second place with 25.4%. That's down just barely. It was 25.7% last year. So I'm just going to call it flat pretty much. Technology, 13.8%. That's down quite a bit. It was 18.9% last year. Healthcare, 3.4%. That's down from 6.1%. And consumer packaged goods, 3.4%. And that's down from 4.7%. So, Alex, any thoughts on these kind of industry placements? That's some crazy numbers in terms of the average starting salary at 175. I think that's the top number that we've seen all season. Not that they're the only ones with 175. Right. I think there's one or two other programs that hit that number too. But that's, I believe, Graham, the top number. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, yeah. And so, so why is that the case? Well, that consulting number at 43.5%, that's a, a really strong increase in consulting. Um, and, and, and certainly, you know, um, top tier consulting is, is one of the higher paid um, careers coming out of business school. So to have that percent in consulting um, supports the higher overall median um, salary. So that's very... Um, impressive. Maybe it's symptomatic of the pending economic um, um, situation that's ongoing, i.e. a shrinking in financial services, a shrinking in tech, Mm -hmm. um, etc., that's being sort of hoovered up by the consulting firms. Yeah. And, and, and we shall see how that progresses over the next season. Yeah, I'm going to be really curious. We keep saying this week in and week out, but I don't, I don't think the consulting numbers are going to hold with these schools because I think there's going to be a little bit of a pullback there too. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, as far as the regional placements for Darden, they placed 35% of the class in the Northeast. That's up. It was 28% last year. Uh, they placed about 20% in the Mid-Atlantic. That's flat. It was like 20.9% last year. So very much similar. Uh, they sent 13.4% of their class into the Southwest. That's up from 8.1. They sent 12.2% to the South. That's also up from 11.1. So just a little bit up. Uh, with, with respect to the West Coast, they sent 11.9% to the West Coast. That's down pretty significantly. It was at 18.2% last year. And then they sent 7.6% to the Midwest. That's also down from 11.1% last year. So any thoughts on those regional placements? It sounds like they're becoming more regional. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about the Southwest and, and Mid-Atlantic, Northeast. Those would be the, the, 
the 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 the, the better places um, and for Darden and the the further away the west and midwest and so forth they, it sounds like they're struggling a little bit or at least the the demand is more so in the northeast so so yeah that doesn't really surprise me either Graham. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this, too, with a lot of the schools um, where there's been this kind of regionalization happening. Yeah. And I think some of it is, you know, the, there are less jobs on the West Coast now with the tech stuff kind of beginning to wane. And so, in any event, what, very... What, yeah. what region is Darden considered to be in? Is that the Southwest or the no, no, Mid-Atlantic? The, no, they're Mid-Atlantic. Southwest I mean, is not like... Southwest. You just South, mean South... I mean... I think they're Mid-Atlantic yeah. still. Yeah. yeah. So, they're okay. mid, that's why they have a big number for Mid-Atlantic. But, where, yeah. Where, where, where's the, the, the Southern border? that defines them as sound. Yeah, I would argue that it's that they're the last school in the in the in the mid Atlantic. But it's yeah. it is tricky because you know Charlottesville. You might argue, you know, you could argue yeah. about. I mean, DC is definitely mid Atlantic, right? So it's it's a little yeah. tricky. But, but but if you want to work in the South region, Darden's got to be a big player for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, along with Duke and UNC and Emory. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. Yeah. So um, we continue to do our real humans on the website, and we connected with a couple of really amazing uh, grads. There's a woman named Nandita who graduated from CMU Tepper in 21, and she works at Microsoft as a project manager. Uh, she's originally from India, studied engineering, and she worked in like infrastructure technology before business school. And, I, you know, just interesting, we always ask them different questions, and I'll just share a short quote. Um, I think this was her response to kind of why Tepper, and she said, Tepper was famously a tech school, and it still is. I was trying to stay in an environment where people think about tech innovations right from case studies and in-class conversations to job options and beyond. This focus... And and the scholarship I received were the major drivers for final selection. So you know she's um, now at Microsoft. So it sounds like she made the right, the right call, given that she wanted to kind of live and breathe tech, right? And so Tepper really served her well there, and she's got off to a great you know kind of career at Microsoft. I wonder if she's working on Bit. Bing AI. I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. I think she might be working in the cloud, if, if memory serves. I'd have to go okay. back and reread. But yeah, so we connected with her. And then we also connected with a woman named Diana, who is a Michigan Ross grad from the class of 19. So she's been out in the in the world for a while. Um, she works at Google, and she is Google's global customer care manager, originally from San Francisco. She went to Berkeley undergrad and spent like seven years working in energy and utilities um, before going to business school. And she offers a couple of little tidbits of advice for people heading off to business school. She said, make the most of this experience by doing what intimidates you, what piques your curiosity, and what gets you out of your comfort zone. It's the perfect time to be bold. You'll rarely have another opportunity like it. And then she also offered up a second piece of advice, which was take time to build strong relationships with professors and staff. They are incredible people with a wealth of knowledge. They too are part of your lasting network, but only if you invest in getting to know them. So that was kind of nice advice. And she's been out you know, for a few years now, but still clearly has a really strong and fond memory of her time at Michigan. I think that second piece, well, I like the first piece of advice, I get out of your comfort zone. Sure. Um, and, and, and sort of stress yourself a little bit in a very safe environment, right? So you, if you if you can, you, you should be able to do it whilst you're in business school. But that second piece of advice, absolutely fantastic. I was actually giving a webinar yesterday on on a on quite a different subject, but but one of my key points was find find the the 
find out whatever it is your your niche and your passion in you know in, in business and in work and, and so forth um, become you know do a deep dive become an expert in it but then find people that are smarter than you in that field and connect with them and follow them on LinkedIn and, and, and learn from them. So, so you could almost apply that advice to, you know, when you're in business school, make those relationships with those faculty yeah. that truly inspire you and then continue developing those relationships over your career. Um, because, yeah, these faculty are just a, a, a fantastic resource. I'll give another sort of anecdote in that regard. I spent time at the Wharton School, and I'm a huge fan of Peter Fader mm -hmm. from the Wharton School. Everything that he publishes on LinkedIn, I um, consume and, and follow and, and, and so on and so forth, and ultimately interact with Peter, and, 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 and et cetera. I mean, it's just... A really good piece of advice, I think. Yeah, and it's funny because now you're reminding me of the fact that, you know, I kind of connected with you. You were in admissions at Wharton. I was a student and I recognized not only your kind of admissions expertise, but your kind of really interest in technology, which is really what's driven a lot of what Clear Admit does. And so, yeah, making those connections with both, yeah. both you know, staff and faculty at these schools is, is really invaluable. Um, so, uh we did get something in the mailbag um, that I wanted to read out. And this comes from a candidate. I'll just call her C. And, and C writes, I wanted to reach out as you had previously featured me on an episode of Wiretaps number 250. Um, she had a 319 on the GMAT. And I guess we told her, you know, maybe retake and stuff. And so she went and did that and boosted her score to a 321. And she writes in with an update on her results. Um, hopefully they're good. Let's see here. So she says, uh, Sloan, she was waitlisted. Um, Ross admitted with a full tuition scholarship um, and a kind of fellowship as well, apparently. She was admitted to Fuqua, 40% scholarship, Darden, 50% scholarship, and Keenan Flagler with a 75% scholarship. And she adds, you know, after sharing these results, she just mentions in the closing, she says, I still love the podcast and the whole website. It's been the most valuable resource I've used through the application process. Your thoughtful responses and insights to all applicants have really helped me and given me things to think about for each stage of the process. Your content was a huge reason for my success in the applications. So I just wanted to thank her for writing to us. That's like super touching and, and man, great admissions results too. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And certainly retaking the GRE, boosting it by two points is the only reason she got all those brilliant <laughs> no. results, no doubt. Yeah, no, I, I hope that I have to go back and, and listen to that episode or remind myself of what, you know, what we said. But I'm, I'm hoping we also said some other things that, you know, helped kind of yeah, yeah, <laughs> steer sure. her in yeah. the right direction. But yeah. that's really fantastic. So if you want to write to us, you can always reach out by writing to info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. So Alex, we've got three candidates that you picked out. Are you ready to begin our discussion of those <laughs> candidates? Yeah, yeah, let's kick on. All right, so this is Wiretaps candidate number one. So first up, you picked an apply wire entry, Alex, and this is a candidate that it says in the fo in the form that they're looking to start in 23. So I'm guessing they're applying now, but they we asked them and we didn't get a response as to whether that's actually confirmed. But they have six schools on their target list, and the schools are Berkeley, Columbia, Harvard, Kellogg, NYU, and UCLA. This person's uh, based in Brazil, and they've been working for much of their career at Anheuser-Busch InBev. 
Um, so they're doing marketing um, for that company. They did spend some time at Procter and Gamble before that, but they've got a total of five years, I guess, of work experience. Um, and they are interested in consumer goods as well as entrepreneurship post MBA. They mentioned Nike as one of the companies they might target. Their GMAT score is a 710. Uh, I did look at the kind of breakdown of that score. And so it's a 710 with a 74th percentile in the math and an 84th percentile in the verbal. Uh, they have a 93 out of 100 GPA. They were top of their class in Brazil. Um, and I think that's the main, you know, they, they, well, they mentioned that they have launched a kind of side business. So they have their job, but they also have just recently launched some kind of a venture on the side and they have a strong history of community work. And so Alex, you know, they've got this list of schools. They were mentioning in the note that they were thinking about also looking at Stanford and Yale, but they decided to kind of reduce their list to just these six schools. So what's your take? And I mean, I don't, we might want to talk about them in two lenses. Like one is if they're applying now in round three, what do we think? And then if for some reason they're actually applying later this year for round one of the next cycle, we could talk about that too, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I actually think they're probably currently applying and applying in round three, um, which yeah. in of itself adds a little bit of, um, you know, a, a, a little bit of sort of stress to the whole process because when you're applying in the late rounds, um, you're really beholden to um, what, what, what aspects of the class the school needs to fill and so on and so forth to come up with a really good class profile. Um, or at least that's some of the pressure and there are yeah. just less seats available. If they're applying in round one next season, um, we could give them a couple of tips in terms of what they need to do and just tell them only target the very best schools because, quite frankly, there's a lot to like here, Graham, right? Their sure. work experience sounds really, really strong. Um, they graduated top of their class. They have, in their own um, description, strong community service, right? So to me, that's, you know, kind of like the trifecta. Um, right. Now... We don't know how well developed their goals are and they're talking about sort of entrepreneurship versus consumer goods. So as, as long as they've got a well thought out post MBA plan and it all makes sense, then that would be good. If they're sort of waffling between the two, they should at least sort of really focus on whatever that short term goal might be to get them to a long term um, situation. Um, I'm just a little bit nervous about their GMAT um, which, as you said, is 710, which is certainly within the range of the top programs. It is below the average. We talked about that at the beginning of this show. Some of these averages are, are quite frankly, ridiculous anyway. <laughs> but um, they fall below that. Culturally, Brazilian candidate, there's probably a little bit of forgiveness there in terms of it's not really a strong test-taking culture um, in, in South America um, and, and so forth. So, so they might get a, a bit of forgiveness there. But I think if they are applying in round three this season, what we're looking at is um, a, a, an M7 candidate um, in, 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 you know, if all things were equal, that might struggle to get into an M7 program because one, they're applying in round three and two, that GMAT isn't quite um, over, the, over the top. Now, they might still get into an M7 program, but... If they were applying early next season, had one more swing at the GMAT, I would say bong Stanford back onto your list and you know, really focus on, on the, 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 the very top programs in that first round 
and then have a second round strategy if that if if they were coming at it for next season for this season obviously they got to crunch it up for round three yeah and they got to just hope that that GMAT, um, which is within range, doesn't hold them back for what I think they should be M7. Yeah, I want to make two points. One is uh, for this candidate in particular, I feel like they need to, I, I don't, I didn't see a lot about their goals. Um, you know, they, they kind of mentioned consumer goods or entrepreneurship. They named one company. So I, I would, I would hope that that piece of the candidacy is fleshed out um, to be convincing and, and so that they have a clear plan. And I do think it would be wise for them to play upon their play on their, their background uh, in kind of consumer goods. That seems like the most obvious path forward um, just to kind of accelerate and, and, you know, raise the bar with their career so we'll see, but I, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, they they if they're crunching for for round three here, yeah, they just need to get it done. If it's round one, they have more time. They could even think about a GMAT retake or something. But yeah. um, one thing I do want to mention, it was interesting. I, I was um, I attended an event recently while I've been in the states where I got to connect with. There were a group of nine kind of leading MBA programs there, and you know they were kind of talking about round three, and you know a lot of them have kind of extended their deadlines, or you know they're kind of wondering, are we going to get more applications because of people being laid off, et cetera. But one of these schools, which is an M7 school, mentioned to me, and I won't say which one, it's kind of in confidence, but they just were saying that, you know, it's it's all good and well that they have, you know, round three and they've kind of created options for people to apply who have been laid off. But um, this person was a little worried about what, how much room they had left in the class, you know, because they, you know, for the most part, these schools go into rounds one and two thinking they're going to get the lion's share of their student body there because round three being always very small. So they're kind of, there's this fear of like, if we do get a flood of applications in the final round, yeah. how many of these people are we going to have room for? You know, so so we'll see. Yeah, it's gonna, it'll be all that, oh, we'll defer you till next season. Maybe, we yeah. have another complication for next season, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so we, we shall see. I'll be really curious to hear from schools about these round three numbers. Uh, Let's move on, though. I want to thank that person for their post. Did yeah. you did you did you hear? Did you get a sense of round two numbers, though, Graham? I my understanding is round two numbers were likely down. Yeah, much like round one numbers. Yeah, so things are continuing to be down, and um, yeah, I mean, fl flat is the new up, I would say. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, all right. So I want to thank that person for posting, Alex. Let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So the second candidate you picked is a decision wire entry. Um, this person posted, and I'll just give you the rundown. They applied to Columbia, Duke, Michigan, UNC, and UVA Darden. Uh, they're going to start school this fall. The outcomes were they got into Michigan, uh, they got into uh, UNC, and they got into Darden. And there's some money associated. So with Ross, they got $10,000. Um, with Darden, they didn't get any money, and with Keenan Flagler, they got a full ride, which is it looks like $150,000. Uh, this person's GPA was a 3.43. They're located in Canada, and they're hoping to use the MBA to get into consulting. Specifically, they mentioned Bain, BCG, and McKinsey as targets. They also added that they were waitlisted at Duke, um, and, and they kind of mentioned they're disappointed that they got no money from Darden but they are asking for reconsideration there. And they said Darden was always their top choice. They like the case method. They like the location because in particular, they want to stay in that area and we'll kind of get into like DC after business school. 
Um, they like the culture, et cetera. So they said that, you know, despite that, though, it's hard to turn down free education at UNC. And they say rankings and postgrad employment is important. So UVA is stronger there. But does anyone have thoughts to help make this decision? So I'll turn it over to you. I mean, you chimed in. I know Elliot on our team chimed in. And, and so did uh, at least one of our kind of community members. But what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, frankly, this is your classic dilemma. Um, you get an admit at two different schools, one in a tier above the other. Um, and, and you get a free ride from the school that's in the lower tier. Right. Um, and, and they got admit from a couple of schools in, 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 in the um, higher tier, but, but we'll focus on Darden versus um, Keenan Flagler for, for the sakes of this conversation. So we have tiers for a reason, right? Those, those schools in that same tier, we our argument is that they're all very comparable. So you've got that Darden, Duke, Ross, Stern, Cornell, Johnson type tier. Mm-hmm. And then just behind that is the Keenan Flagler McDonough, Goizetta, um, and McCombs, Tepper, yeah, and yep. and Marshall um, in, in in that tier, right? Um, so, what what's the difference between the two tiers? One is potential outcomes, i.e., um, who's recruiting there, and so on and so forth. Another is the potential for the quality of the networks in the classroom and the experience and the. The, the students that you're hanging out with for two years, which I don't ever think should be on, on um, overlooked, um, and, and so forth. But is the price differential appropriate? I, you got a free ride in a school that's one tier below um, another school. Oftentimes we see maybe partial scholarship is the differential between um, two tiers, and that sounds about right, but a full ride makes it a little bit... Uh, more compelling potentially to go <laughs> to um, 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 Keenan Flagler. The question is, what is the goal? And the goal apparently in this case is MBB um, consulting. And so, so clearly, Darden provides more access, more opportunity um, to execute on that goal. But Keenan Flagler provides access and opportunity. It's not like if you go to Keenan Flagler, you have no shot. Um, so, um, and then the question is, if you come out of Keenan Flagler and go into MBB versus coming out of um, Darden going to MBB, does it affect your post um, MBA career? Or once you're in MBB, are you sort of completely um, transformed or whatever it might be? So. Um, so, so that would be something to think about too. The importance of your business school network in the longer run. Yeah. Um, but I think this is challenging, and we talked about this a little bit before we came on air, Graham. I think if this was a, uh, if we were in a year where you know the economy is booming, everything's going nuts, and and you know however you land, you're going to land well because of the crazy heat of the economy. You can be a bit more risk tolerant and therefore go for the higher tier program um, and take on the debt and really see how far you can run with that. Whereas if we're in a shrinking economy that's going to need to adjust probably quite considerably over the next couple of years before it comes back around, because everything's just in peaks and troughs, right? So it will come come around. Um, But that might make you a little bit 
less um, risk tolerant, bit of risk averse, and might um, make Keelan Flagler actually a, a pretty viable um, choice here. Yeah, it's really fascinating. That's it. I have no advice. <laughs> I could just tell you all the issues, but I can't tell you what, what to do. No, it's it's challenging. I mean, because first of all, I mean, these are all great programs. And I remember, um, you know, UNC is unique in that they have these kind of career-oriented uh, tracks. So they literally have, um, it, it's almost like a major, I, I don't know if I would. it's fair to call it that, but they have these kind of tracks and, and they're, they're geared around careers and they have a consulting track. And so they have a lot of customized kind of coursework that employers quite like. So I have no doubt that this person could go to UNC and get into consulting. Now, is it MBB? Is it Deloitte? Is it other, you know, top kind of consulting firms? That's maybe another question, because I do think when you look at the numbers, you know, the Dardens of the world are placing relatively more people into MBBs, right? So, but it's tough. And this is a free ride. And, you know, UNC is a great MBA program. It has a great culture, too. They talked about they like the culture at Darden. I mean, I would argue that, you know, there's kind of similar cultures. These are small, smaller programs. Programs. Um, they're both kind of in the South or Mid-Atlantic, I guess we said earlier for Darden. But it's in any event. I, yeah, this is a tough call, and I think it comes down to the candidate's risk profile. And as you say, some of these macroeconomic factors might make one a little gun shy, right? You might say, "Geez, you know, we don't know where things are going to be a year or two from now when this person's recruiting." And so would it be safer to have no debt, you know, coming out of business school? So again, just depends. I, I think they're going to, they put in for reconsideration, but look, th- we know that Ross gave him 10K. And so I don't, I don't think Darden's going to go up to doing anything near what UNC's done. So I think even if Darden gives them some money, it's not going to be a lot. So we'll have to see, but it's a tough dilemma. And I could, I, I don't think anyone could fault them for going either way on this. I mean, it's tricky. It's almost like, um, if, if they're going to negotiate scholarship, they need to be of the mindset that they're going to be going to Keenan Flagler, right? Yeah. So they write to Darden and say, you know, I really appreciate the offer. You've always been my number one program. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'd love to be at Darden. But, you know, finances are a concern. I have a full ride at Keenan Flagler. Um, and given the economic circumstances that, that have transpired over the last several months, um, I'm going to have to take that full ride at Keenan Flagler unless, um, um, you know, Darden, um, it, it, unless you're willing to, to come halfway or, or to close that gap a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And with that sort of sentiment, um, if, if Darden then says no, then you go to Keenan Flagler. You don't then sort of, oh, I'm still going to come to you. Right, you <laughs> right. Know, you got to decide. Joking yeah. or whatever. You've got to be committed to that decision. Yeah. But as a last resort, that probably would be my approach. Yeah, it is fascinating because, you know, it's so interesting how these schools negotiate now. And, and I think the amount of money schools spend to secure their class is just, it's changed dramatically. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. there are a couple of schools that don't negotiate. But I would say ev- everywhere except, I think, McDonough, which is odd. But I've already seen it on Livewire, someone saying, Georgetown, I didn't get any money, I'm whatever. And I'm thinking year on year. They've seem to have a smaller scholarship budget with oh, which to play. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, a lot of this relates back to the endowment and you know yeah. the the how old the business school is in some cases and how many alums are out there to kind of fund this type of stuff. But but, but, yeah. but it makes it makes it very difficult from a competitive standpoint. Oh yeah, if their peer schools within that same tier 
are offering generous opportunities like Keenan Flagler. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, it's tricky. It's, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. yeah. So in any event, I hope this person, you know, finds a decision that suits their, their needs, but um, congratulations to them on getting into a handful of really great programs and we'll see how it, hopefully they'll let us know by leaving a note on their decision wire entry as to what they, what they decide. Um, but let's move on and, and talk about wiretaps candidate number three. So our final candidate for this week is a decision wire entry, comes from a decision wire entry that he's picked, Alex, and, and this person, again, is undecided. So they're looking for some insight. They applied to Berkeley, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, uh, NYU, UCLA, and USC Marshall. They're starting school this fall. Um, they want to get into media and entertainment. Their GMAT score was a 750, and they have a 3.6 uh, on as a, as a GPA. They're, uh, I guess they're currently located in New York, and they mention in the notes that they want to work in media and entertainment immediately after graduation, and then one day start their own media tech company. And they, as far as their outcomes, they were admitted to Kellogg. Uh, they also got into NYU Stern, um, and the Stern acceptance comes with a $170,000 scholarship. And they also got into USC Marshall. Doesn't look like there was any money there. So it comes down to Kellogg, Stern, or Marshall, but Stern comes with that $170,000 scholarship. So what are your thoughts on this one? I'm hoping they're listening on Monday morning. And as you said before we came on air, get that app into Wharton by the end of this week because it's their, de <laughs> it's their deadline this week. And we're looking at the list of schools they applied to, and Wharton doesn't seem to be on that list. And... Um, you know, they got an admission at Kellogg. They got a lot of money at Stern. They want media and entertainment. Wharton has a good, um, a, a very good offering in that space, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, so in, if, if they're completely agile and can, can make that happen very quickly with great essays and get the recommenders behind them, um, that's probably a bit far-fetched, but why not, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, but but that said, yeah, I mean Stern with 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 the the generous um, offer that they're getting from Stern probably makes most sense, Graham. Um, I mean, obviously Marshall's in in. I mean, when you think of media and entertainment, you think of LA and New York, sure, um, right? In terms of that's probably where they're going to end up um, being post MBA. So why not be in the middle of New York for your MBA and get a um, you know, a, a really strong package um, yeah. and to, to, to finance your MBA. So, yeah, it, it seems reasonably straightforward in this case. Yeah, I mean, I, just back to the point you made, what I had noted and what you're commenting on is, you know, they had Harvard on their list, they didn't get in there. Um, and, 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 you know, but then there's kind of a gap. And I, I sort of wondered whether, yeah, looking at Columbia and Wharton would have made sense given that they seem willing to be in New York, that they want to do media and entertainment. So it could be that they're, they may have reasons for having not looked at either of those programs, but that did come to mind. But based on what they have on the table and, and you know, assuming they're not going to apply somewhere else this late in the game, I think Stern rises to the top. I mean, Stern's given them $170,000. Uh, it's, you know, sure, Kellogg's higher ranked, but Stern's in New York. This person wants to work in media and entertainment, as you said. I think Marshall, you know, while ordinarily a very compelling school for, you know, media and entertainment, the fact that they're not giving them any money 
um, and as you know, generally viewed as ranking a little below NYU, um, kind of puts them out of the running for me. But yeah, so I think this person should go to NYU. It's a great, as you say, great package. And you know, a lot of people commented on this entry, and and actually Elliot on our team mentioned that even if they wanted to work in LA that they could use some of that $170,000 to take regular trips out to <laughs> LA to network yeah. while they're getting their MBA and still be ahead. So in any event, yeah, I think this seems pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, again, we don't know the full story about this person's risk tolerance and exactly what they want to do, but it feels like, um, yeah, pr- pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Best of luck to them. Yeah. Yeah, appreciate them sharing uh, their profile. Hopefully, we'll get a lot of additional decision wire entries. I find them fascinating to just see where people end up getting in and, and the, the scholarships award and all that stuff. So we'll continue to kind of profile those as they come in. Alex, thanks for doing this and picking out these great candidates to discuss, as always. And uh, we'll be back in one week's time to do it all again. Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe.